Hello and welcome to the British sitcom history, what I call podcast. I am Alan. With me as always is Gareth. We're recording a podcast, are we? <laughs> ah, doing catchphrases from the show we're talking about, are we? Oh, pointing out my obvious use of the joke, are we? <laughs> Great. Good stuff. Getting a That's bit repetitive done. already, are we? <laughs> <laughs> Yes, we're talking about Miranda today, the sitcom Miranda, written and starring the person Miranda Miranda Hart, of course, yes. So, end of the season, Gareth, which is the end of our series, and we like to go a little bit more, what I call, and I'm I'm not even using that phrase (laughs) in that way, but what I call modern sitcom, which is anything like post-2000, really. Yeah, well, I think I think this uh, this what years was this? This feels like certainly one of the newer ones that we've done, but it's 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 more than ten years old, isn't it? Oh yeah, two thousand and nine. The first series okay. went out. Uh, the last ones were first of January twenty fifteen. The last one went out. The Christmas specials, yeah. Yes, but its heyday was that two thousand nine, two thousand ten. Yeah, and yeah, that's a long time ago, isn't it? And I actually one of the interesting things to note here was there was a couple of moments that felt like they'd already aged. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's that's how, true. How quickly things change. But I, I was thinking that I, I'm sort of jumping ahead slightly here. But do you think when we watch something from say the 70s, we can kind of go, oh well, you know, it was a different time, and actually for its mm. time, it wasn't that bad. Whereas because this is so close, it just feels a little bit more like oh, it's just personal experience, Alan. You know, like we watch Rising Damp and. I don't remember that time. You know, I was just about alive, mm. but but I don't remember that. Whereas 2009, I remember, you know, I had a job, I was married, and you know, I, 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 that was the world that I occupied. And so when something feels a bit outdated, it makes you feel old in a way that mm. the army game doesn't make you feel old because that's just that's just before my time. It's just like, so for example, just in the very first episode of Miranda, we have uh, her dealing with being mistaken for a man and there's a whole kind of, this. this it doesn't really get into it, but things about gender and and transvestism specifically, and yeah. it was it wasn't like really offensive or anything, but oh, it God, was no. certainly like I don't think I I don't think you would you would write it in that way today. They might have done it, but it would have been done uh, in just the language would have been different, the approach would have yeah. been slightly different. There's quite a few things like that in Miranda, and I think. Mm. It largely feels like it's coming from the right place, and that that's kind of why it gets away with it. And well, it's coming, I think, you know, without wanting to be rude about it, you know, Miranda is, uh, she makes a lot of humour from her physical characteristics. You know, she's, yeah. she's a large woman, as in she's, you know, six foot two and she's not slender. And you see, I'm desperately trying not to be, uh, not to be rude <laughs> about the woman. But the point is that there's a lot of comedy in Miranda, which is derived from her physical appearance. Yeah, I mean, you could argue that it's the central tenet, really. Mm. It is the the whole character arc, such as it is, and the whole character is kind of the the ugly duckling. But then yeah. rather than the fairy tale ending of like, oh, it turns out you're a swan, it is just like, well, you know, you don't have to be like everyone else. Ducklings are, are all right. beautiful and unique snowflakes. Yeah, I think that's the, really the central tenet. And it obviously mm. comes from Miranda Hart herself. That is actually what she looks like in real life so she has she's had to deal with that and it's, her humor largely derives from i'm gonna make the joke before you do the joke i think you're making behind my back i'm gonna say it yes and that's not my speculation you know, I've, heard, I've heard in interviews essentially saying what's that effect well do you think there's an insecurity there then because it would be easy to interpret it that way but my my impression of Miranda is that, you know she's owning it she's she's quite comfortable in her skin but but i think perhaps perhaps she's someone who's writing as okay i'm comfortable in my skin now but bloody hell i wasn't yeah i think there's a, i think there's a lot of that i think even within the five years of the show 
Mm. We see the change, and that mm. comes from because Miranda Hart had gone from being a struggling comedian just trying to get ahead to yeah. a very successful person, and that obviously gave her some level of confidence within herself as well. And yeah. I think we see that change. It's interesting to for have a show that's so personal. And I, mm. you know, we, we, we don't want to make the mistake of going, oh, Miranda, the character is Miranda Hart. It's obviously it's not, mm. but there's a lot of emotional autobiography there, I think. Yeah. Well, you know, in, in our podcast, we normally spend a lot of time talking about the writers and we normally spend a lot of time talking about the stars. Mm. You know, this is a show built around and by Miranda Hart. So let's talk about her. My my memory of this when it came out was that I sort of knew her, but didn't know her very well. She was, like you say, a, a sort of a comedian. I think she'd been in that, oh my goodness, what was that uh, science fiction sitcom? Hyperdrive. Hyperdrive, thank you, yes. I, I remember her from that. And I kind of knew her, I was aware of her. But this was the thing that really took off for her, wasn't it? Mm. She, was, she was on the up. She... <sighs> So she's obviously quite posh. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> she went on Desert Island Discs and p- picked classical music. Oh. <laughs> posh. <laughs> let, let, me, let me say, I'm going to preempt because that's the first time in the podcast, but not the first time watching Miranda, that I've got really working class chippy about it. That, oh, bloody <laughs> hell, these people. Like, for example, you know, the, that, that shop that they work in. Mm. Nobody with a poor background is running a shop like that, are they? Do you know what? Put that on hold because I think we're going to hit this several times throughout so, this episode. Yeah, I'm, so. I'm, I'm preempting <laughs> the fact that I'm going to get really chippy throughout this podcast. Well, her her father was an officer in the navy, um, mm-hmm. and he was a, an aide de camp to the queen. Is that posh? I think that's posh. <laughs> it's it's it, it's interesting. All her background and stuff. It's all kind of aristocracy adjacent, but yes. without quite being aristocracy themselves. But very kind of landed gentry. Class. Lower upper. Miranda Hart, actually Miranda Hart Dyke, and is part of this kind of Hart Dyke dynasty. But I also assume connected to, there's a there's um, an actor called John Hart Dyke who was kind of part of the Ray Cooney um, okay. set. I, I think there might be some kind of entertainment connections in the family, but I, I couldn't find any direct connections. So it's probably quite, mm. all quite distant. But there's all sorts of things like third cousin twice removed of, you know, yeah. Lady Di and all this sort of nonsense. It's all yeah. part of that posh set. Uh, and she went to boarding school, uh, you know, which is very posh. And that, that is obviously something that comes through in the Miranda character as well. And I found that very interesting. Miranda, the character, is a bit posh, okay? Yeah. And I find it very interesting that we have that character presented as our hero, our kind of everyman, if you will. Mm. And it's interesting to see see them strike that balance because I think it works. It does work. I think if you look at some of the supporting characters, and I don't want to go too deep on them because I know we'll get to them, but Penny, her mum, is irritatingly posh. Tilly, her mm. friend, is obnoxiously posh. Mm. And so Miranda, by just being a couple of notches below them, is our everyman. Yes. And I, I think that's the, the what Tilly is there for. Mm. It, it's to show everything that Miranda should be, certainly in the eyes of her mother, yes. and that kind of society that she was brought up in. And so it's this contrapoint to to what she, everything mm. she isn't. And that, But then we, as an audience, go, well, that is a stupid thing. So we're on your side, Miranda. Yeah. But they never get deep into that kind of social expectations, really, do they? They never, they yeah. never quite... They kind of go, oh, well, I got an inheritance and I bought this shop. So it's like, okay, look, that explains why you're just at a loose end and you're kind of free to do whatever. Yeah. As we're going to, we're going to see, the episode we're going to look at today is series one, episode three, Job, in which mm-hmm. she sort of messes around to get a job. She's the person who gets a job as a 
as a joke. It's, as it's a, a kind of a little yeah. fun thing she could be doing. Well, what should I do today? Well, I'll get a job. Yeah. I found the more I thought about it, the more it annoyed me. Because <laughs> yeah. yeah. let me set out my stall straight away. Miranda the show. I found it very funny. Yeah. I found it very enjoyable, very likable. Less so as it went along. We'll talk yeah. about that. I'm setting that out now because I'm going to be, I think I'm going to be a bit nitpicky and negative as we go along. Okay. All right. <laughs> because quite like Miranda, the character herself, I feel like the show is using charm and likability to hide some pretty substantial flaws <laughs> Okay. Uh, in, in its character. So um, we'll, we'll right, get well, into that's that. Interesting. That's my I mean, thesis my, that I'm working me, towards. I, I kind of agree with that. You know that I don't like physical humor. And yes. I am chippy about posh people. And, <laughs> you know, all the pratfalls in the... Uh, I shouldn't like this. On paper, if yeah. you describe Miranda to me, I, I would say, oh, that's not for me. Mm. I really like it. Like, it's funny. Yeah. It makes me laugh. And you got to, you know, you got to trust in that, haven't you? And, and I also agree that when I sat down today and watched this episode for the third time making notes, I got quite annoyed about it. <laughs> but when I watched it a couple of months ago and just watched it, it was great. It was really good fun. Yes. So perhaps, it, perhaps the problem is that the show doesn't stand up to scrutiny, the, the sort of scrutiny that we're going to subject it to. But yes. if you just sit down and watch Miranda, in my opinion, it is a great sitcom. It's fun, yes. And I, I, I suspect that you know, we are going to overanalyze it. That's just kind of the nature of what we do. Yeah. Uh, and, and some shows are not built to be anything more than a bit of superficial humor and, that's and fine. fun. And that is fine. Is this one of them? We'll we'll talk about that. But yeah, let's get back to Miranda, Miranda Hart Tell, tell us about Miranda Hart's story. Yeah, let's because I, I think why Miranda works is because of Miranda Hart and her likability and charm. So yeah, posh schools, university, blah, blah, blah. Did political science at university, actually. More so to because that was kind of more acceptable uh, to her parents <laughs> rather than mm. because she particularly wanted to. Yeah. Uh, was more interested in performing. Ended up doing a lot more of that stand-up sketches. I think she... I got the impression she didn't want to go out doing stand-up like round the clubs kind I, of circuit. I, don't, like, it's... I certainly don't think of her as a stand-up comedian, but she did. did I think of her as a sketch comedian. That's that's kind of my early mm, memory of her. Yeah, but did she was she you know stand on on stage with a microphone, stand-up comedian? As yeah, well? yeah, she's done okay. a bit of that. I think you've got to, but but she was she was more sketches. But then she ended up in that kind of Edinburgh fringe set sure. of the nineties, yes. and in in that way that when it was still kind of a feasible thing to do. At the same time mm. where your likes of a Richard Herring is there every year, Sally Phillips mm. is there every year, and you're gonna see we're gonna see a lot of these kind of connections. One of her earliest TV credits is Smack the Pony, in, uh, in which yes, she okay. did some acting and also there's some writing credits there. So she wrote a couple right, of sketches. Okay. Uh, obviously, there's a Sally Phillips connection there. Then throughout the sort of early 2000s. You're getting, uh, she does a, a guest appearance on uh, Absolutely Fabulous, a guest appearance on Vicar of Dibley. Right. The later the later end of those shows, and there's definitely, Jennifer Saunders is connected to her in some way, like professionally okay. speaking, I mean, I think they saw something of her and went and pushed her a little bit. I just think, yeah. I think Jennifer Saunders was in her, uh, in her camp at the BBC going, oh, look at this person, look yes. at this person. So, so definitely, there was a bit of a a bit of a push around her. Obviously, people liked her. They were trying to use her. They were just using her in these little one scene guest roles. Um, she pops up in Nighty Night. That was two thousand and five. Yeah, I remember that. She did a one off guest appearance on Not Going Out, and they liked her so much that they brought her back uh -huh. for a couple of, as a series regular as a totally different character. 
but she was establishing something. She was, you know, she was building mm-hmm. a bit of a reputation. Hyperdrive, which was pretty much co-lead, I think. Nick Frost yeah, was kind she, of the star, the name. She was, but she she was Nick Frost's sort of second in command, but she was very, yeah, she was very, very prominent character in it, yeah. And that's 2006-7. So around that time, 2007-2008, she got a, a pilot for a radio show called Miranda Hart's Joke Shop. And this was actually on Radio 2. And it is essentially what became Miranda, the television show. Yeah. And it, it's, it's ultimately the same concept. They did a pilot, which had a slightly different cast. They had more Wenner Banks in as the Stevie role, yeah. which makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah. And Alison Stedman as the mother. That makes sense. Yeah. Went to series. Actually did four episodes as the series. Feel It really does feel like a tester. It feels like the BBC yeah. going, let's just see what this is. Is yeah. there worth something? Is this a TV show? And it's, it's much the same concept with the, a lot of the same characters. By the time they went to series, they had Tom Ellis and, and Sarah Hadland in those roles and uh, Patricia Hodge as well at that point. Yeah. The, the, the one major difference in the radio cast is the person playing Clive, the guy who runs the cafe, uh, was Jason Watkins, who does turn ah, up yes. in the series yes, does, as yeah. Dick Twist uh, at one point. But uh, that but obviously wasn't available for the show or whatever. So off the back of that, they did a pilot, a, a non-broadcast pilot of the TV show. In 2008, Mm -hmm. series in 2009. So it really, it ran the whole run of it. You know, it it had to do that. And by the time it got to TV show, they dropped the Miranda's joke shop bit. Mm -hmm. And they just called it Miranda. Obviously, it's still in a joke shop, but they, they obviously wanted to broaden out a little bit, I guess. So that's kind of how it came to came about. It was... She became a big star very suddenly. The show became mm. a big success. But, you know, there's yeah. 10 years of, of building up a career before that. When, when did it go out? Was that sort of BBC One prime time? I, I can't remember. It was BBC Two. First two series of BBC Two. Okay. And just looking at the the audience numbers there, the first series peaks at 3.14 million. Okay. Second series, 4.7 million at its highest. Mm-hmm. That's pretty good. Good stuff. But then the third series, they put it on... It was a couple of years later. It really built up a reputation by then. Yeah. They put it on BBC One, and it doubled the numbers, basically. Wow. Okay. That's great. Now, I was thinking... I know you're going to tell me in a second, but I was thinking, like, what has she done since this? I know she was in Call the Midwife. I've never really watched that, but I know she was in that. That's kind of all I've got. What, what, what has she done since? Yeah, in terms of acting, Call the Midwife is the, the thing. Hmm. Uh, and it's a little bit more of a serious role, you sure. know, it's a bit... I say I've never watched that. Is is it is it is it serious? I know it's not a sitcom, but is is she not the sort of in a humorous role there? She proper serious acting. She's a kind of comedy-ish character yeah. in that, relatively speaking. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, there's there's nothing obvious. I think she makes a good living from being Miranda Hart. <laughs> she can do. Uh, what do you mean? How do you monetize being Miranda Hart? What's she doing? Personal appearances, opening supermarkets. What are you on about? <laughs> She's better than that. <laughs> When I was a kid, I, I remember going to a going to a at Skegness, going to an amusement arcade opening, and I've still got a photo of me at about six years old with uh, Ted Rogers and Dusty Bin. That's how you monetize <laughs> fame, mate. Is that what Miranda's doing? Um, <laughs> she did do a big stand-up tour, uh, did and she, she did a, a and did a stand-up DVD and all that. Filmed at the O2, you know. It when was, was a massive that? Was that was that during the twenty fourteen? Yeah. Oh, so at the end of it. So. Yeah, I mean, massive. That's a nice little money spinner. We'll we'll talk about this later, but they've recently done an American version of Miranda okay. in which she must be getting a back end of that. So sure. uh, that's that's financially speaking. She's written a few books. You know, she wrote a book about... You know, you about just said it's... the back end of that. I had the urge to look at my camera and go, don't. 
<laughs> because I've been watching Miranda for the last three weeks. <laughs> uh, she did. Oh, she did. She did manage to get in a musical, uh, as she always seems to aspire okay. to. Uh, she played Miss Hannigan in in Annie. And in this musical, was she singing? Uh, yeah, I guess it's Annie. You know, she's mm. the it, that is interesting. You know, I, I did have a question because <laughs> you know she obviously sings from time to time in in the show. Whether that was her real singing voice or if she was having to artificially make it that bad. <laughs> Well, I did. I did see an interview with her where she basically said, "Yeah, she she wants to be a West End star, but she can't sing or dance, <laughs> so yeah. it was like a dream." But yeah, you know, get famous enough to uh, get the job anyway. Yeah. I'm an ordinary woman with feelings. I'd like a man to nibble on me, but I'll admit, no man has been. But yeah, what has she been doing the last six, seven years? I don't know. Because she, she writes books. She, I think she started writing fiction books now. But yeah, she, I, know, I mean, you can't wrote... just say, oh, she writes books. That's That takes time. That, that's what she's doing then. <laughs> okay, that's the answer to the question. She's writing books. Yeah, but she wrote a book about like life with her dog. <laughs> oh, God, your face. Oh, <laughs> dismissive. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look. I mean, I do quite like Miranda, but that's definitely points off the respect list if you write a book about your dog. <laughs> so so I, I don't think we're quite saying she's disappeared into the wilderness, but look, from a sitcom point of view, this is definitely the peak of her career in terms of, well, there's been no sitcom action since. No, but it's and it's interesting, you know. Obviously, it's a sitcom, but she's is she a sitcom actor? You can just drop into anything, or is she? No, I mean, she's Miranda. This Hart, is her persona. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I don't know. But but then you know, look at Call the Midwife. Obviously, she can play a character. Yeah, I mean, Ricky Gervais has managed it, hasn't it? <laughs> yeah. Do you know what? Let's jump into an episode. Let's talk about our episode. So we are looking at series one, episode three, Job. We start as we do in every show, with this sort of cold open, before any titles or anything, we got Miranda sat on her couch talking to us. So why don't we talk about this technique of breaking the fourth wall, engaging with the audience? Mm. It's not the first time it's ever been done, but I think it is integral to this show. It is, yeah. And a cold opening like this, we saw it quite recently. Jim Davidson does it in Up the Elephant Round the Castle. Yeah. But he does not then break one series <laughs> then, into the story. Jim Davidson couldn't manage to look at the camera. <laughs> he was always looking at the wrong <laughs> camera, do you remember? <laughs> at least Miranda's got eyes on the uh, red light. We're all good. <laughs> but it feels like they did that because Jim Davidson, okay, Jim Davidson's a stand-up. Let's play to his strengths because mm-hmm. he's not an actor. Uh, and then, you know, he wasn't that good at that. But with Miranda, it, yeah, it's it's much more integral to what they're doing, but you do see it as a as a conduit for her kind of stand-up material. I think it's engaging. I think it's crucial to why this sitcom works. As I said earlier, on paper it shouldn't work, but I like it. I feel I'm engaged, and I think that's because she's talking to me. She's keeping me involved. I know that sounds a bit silly, but, mm. but I really do believe that involvement of the audience in the world is crucial to Miranda's success, to, to, to how this works. Yes, I think that direct line between you and Miranda creates a relationship. I think it creates warmth. I think it makes, yeah. like I said, these are all posh people. I've got a chip on my shoulder about posh people and I shouldn't like them. They should all be irritating me and sometimes they do. But <laughs> I'm on Miranda's side. I'm her friend. I'm part of the group. I agree. But I want to talk about specifically the opening monologues. Okay. 
which is used as a way to bring the audience in, yes. It's mm. also used as a way to do a few flashback gags. Little sketches, like cutaway cutaways. scenes. Do you know what it made, yeah. made me think of? Um, Family Guy. Family Guy does this all mm. the time. They'll say a little phrase and then you get the three-second animation of whatever they were talking about. It's exactly the same as that. It's not common in sitcom, though. No, no, absolutely not. Because Because that's expensive. Like, throughout this episode, there's a whole cutaway of her in a Royal Navy interview... Who's the interviewer? Mm. I knew his face. Who's he? Dan Tetzel. Dan Tetzel. That's right. Yes. Yes. There's a there's a cutaway of her at school galloping instead of running. Mm-hmm. All of those things, all those scenes needed to be filmed and staged and the actors mm-hmm. hired and the sets dressed. And, you know, that's that, I think that's why it's unusual because it's extra expense, isn't it? It is. Yeah. All location shooting as well. But from a structural point of view, it's unusual. And I'll tell you why I don't like it. Okay. And it's it's going to lead into some other thing. And, and there's, there's a certain matter of personal taste here. If you look at contemporary people talking about Miranda at the time, there's a lot of like, oh, it's a return to good old-fashioned traditional sitcom, right? Oh, really? Because it was very unfashionable at post office. It was very unfashionable mm. to have this kind of audience sitcom. It was all very one-camera setup, And, you know, that, that never went away. It's all been a bit overdone, yep. uh, overblown with that kind of death of the sitcom vibe. And certainly now we, we have, have it a lot more. But there was this post office period where, like, oh, God, we can't do that old-fashioned sitcom. It mm. looks so kind of crap. And so Miranda is really credited as being one of the ones that really brought it back. And certainly the success of this show would have given the BBC comfort. I want to challenge that, though, because, I I mean, I understand what you're saying. The office, this is not. But it's also not, dear John, you know, that fourth wall breaking is, it completely changes the style of the show. I know it's a studio sitcom, but but yeah, yeah, there are outside external locations. There are those cutaway scenes. I don't think this feels like a traditional sitcom. It feels like the modern twist on a traditional sitcom mm. after The Office. Well, I'll tell you why it started to niggle me as we went along. Mm. Because in my, for my concept, the traditional sitcom is essentially a live recording of a 30-minute play in yeah. front of an audience. Yeah. You know, it's not going to be perfectly that, but, you know, as much as possible. Yeah. And that's not what Miranda is. Because Miranda has these cutaways. It has all this stuff that would don't really work in a live environment. And I know they just have screens in front of the audience and they play the cutaway, right? Fine. You're still getting an audience response. You're still getting Mm. kind of it's all in the flow of it. But then there's lots of other things in the show that affect that. It's it's in the editing. A lot of things where we go from one scene to another and it's the next day and it's a whole costume change. We're in a different location. Things like that which just don't work in a live moment because everyone has to stop for 15 minutes while they go off, yeah. they get changed, get they come you. back, they reset the camera. And that started to bother me more and more as it went along. Other things I noticed, like the editing, where there's definitely just like, oh, there's been a few seconds gone there. You could just tell with the edit, it was like, oh, something's been cut mm-hmm. out there. Maybe a line that didn't quite land or something, or they just chose to take it out. But then in the flow of it, it just started to jump out at me. Just little elements like that, that just started to make me kind of go ah this would i don't think this would be a very good live experience to watch i think you might be right about that but i i i would challenge that i think i think what you're expressing you said this is personal taste and that's that's fine people like different things that's fine but what i'm tell you what i'm thinking about only fools and horses where they're in the stately home banging the chandelier out the ceiling you know, mm-hmm. that would have been played to an audience in a studio on a screen that yeah. they would have laughed at it. You know, that's not a unique experience. The difference here is that there are, the, there are these short cutaway scenes rather than what, what was a longer scene, you know. 
Surely that's better. That's more effective. It's you know, it's just a cutaway, and then and we're back. But this show still has location shooting, though. It still has those. That's, that is true. And and it's that's a kind of an inevitability of having wanting to expand your stories, unless you're going to go real purist with it, like Victoria Wood in Dinner Ladies, which has mm. no location shooting at all, mm. which is great. Great for you. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, we accept that as a kind of reality of it, and you know, they're going to show it to the audience, and then it comes back and like, oh, yeah, they're back in the house, whatever. Mm-hmm. But this just feels very stop-start. I guess that's kind of what my point is. Yeah. And let's get down to the real fundamental thing. Miranda connects directly to the audience. She looks to the audience and we have a connection with her. But she's not looking to the audience. She's looking to a camera. Yeah. As a TV watcher, that works. And it's being made for that. So that's fine. But I'm just saying as a live experience, it's suddenly uh, there's this slight disconnect there. But the audience feel engaged. You know, we talk a lot in this podcast about overreactions of audiences. And you think, God, who's hyped them up? Felix Bones did a good job today, you know. Mm. But this audience feel really engaged. You know, there are moments of oohs and ahs and big applauses. You know, it's almost like an American sitcom, you know, there's that kind of whooping type thing going on. And, you know, at the very end of the fight, we'll get to the final Christmas specials at the end. The very end of it, she comes over to the camera and says goodbye to her friends. Mm. And she she gets emotional and she appears to mean it. Yeah, I got got emotional about that end as well. And I didn't particularly love the episode or anything no no i was sick of it by then but but i still had a little cry at the end (laughs) and on the dvd there's a bit of like there's a kind of behind the scenes bit and they are all emotional it's the last time they're all going to be together this family that they've been working with for five six years Mm -hmm. an audience that they have really engaged with we'll come on to the ending a bit later on but i wanted to address the audience issue there because yes it's a live audience thing you're getting a live audience reaction but your oohs and your ahs this is what i'm talking about with that kind of artifice of the live performance because I'll give you an example. The episode where the the bottle episode where her and the mother are in the psychiatrist's office with Mark Heap. Mark Heap, yeah. There's a scene where Gary suddenly bursts in, declares his love for her and proposes. Woo, yeah, woo. Audience is going crazy. Smash cut to boom. Oh, it's imaginary. She's stood there. He's not there. She's imagining it. The mother goes, yeah. what are you doing, Miranda? Everyone goes, oh. Yeah. How can that response be real when they say cut? Okay, um, Tom Ellis, you can step out now. Thank you. Okay, audience, we're about to reshoot and Miranda is going to be stood here with no one there. It doesn't make any sense, right? That awe is added in, okay? I'm not, you know, there's no laugh track here, but the awe is is obviously added in. They've probably taken it from something that was a genuine response or whatever, but... Oh, you don't don't have to ruin the magic. Well, here's the other thing that ruins it for me. There is a live audience there. We're getting a live laugh track. This is not a fake laugh track. But it doesn't feel genuine. And I couldn't quite put my finger on why that was. It's something to do with the editing and the flow of the scenes. It didn't feel like the actors were responding to the laughs. The laughs kind of grow and then uh, gently come off just in time for the next line. And that feels unnatural. And so when when I'm watching Mm. that, it feels like a fake laugh track. You? No, no, still single. Me too. (laughs) You just said you were married. Divorced now. And the kids? Dead. Really? What happened? I know what you're saying. I remember when we watched Sorry and we talked about Ronnie Corbett really working the laugh and his timing being perfect. Exactly. Uh, Actually, there were a couple couple of times watching Miranda where they seemed to... I I know exactly what you're saying. I hadn't written it down as a note, but as soon as you said it, I I recognised that, yes. 
And so it, it might work better as a TV show. Maybe that's the idea. And basically what really brought that to bear with for me, when I was watching the DVD, some of the extras, there were outtakes. Yeah. And on the outtakes, obviously they're getting big laughs because something went wrong, you know, so it's kind of everyone's laughing. Mm. But you can tell that the audience is in the room. You can hear them in the room. You? No, no, still single. <sighs> me too. You just said you're, just said you're married. Divorced now. And the kids? Dead. When you get yeah. to the end product that's been sound mixed and produced, it feels like a separate track, which it is. It obviously has been separated, and, and then and then you can manipulate it. You can dip it and, and bring it down in time for the next line. And I don't like that. It's not the sh- problem of Miranda, the show. It is. It was the style of the BBC at that time. I don't quite mm. know what they're doing now, but that was the house style, and I don't like it. For a show like Miranda, particularly, that is really trying to engage with an audience, it's a detriment. See, that's interesting. That's this is where you sort of bring some technical expertise to bear because I hadn't, I hadn't noticed any of that. To me, as a as a layman watching, I I felt like the audience were engaged. So you know, I, I'm not I'm not arguing. I'm not saying that you're wrong, but I didn't I didn't read it that way. I didn't see that, hear that. Well, look, I tell you what. With, Let's say we, we've got a bit techie there. Why don't we go back to our episode? So we, we, we've had the little cold open. Let's talk now about the actual opening titles. First thoughts, very basic and cheap. <laughs> yeah, yeah, cheap. yeah no, you're right there. But very sort of, there's like a jaunty tune and it's Miranda holding photographs of herself as a kid as a teenager basically just look this is miranda she was a gawky kid now look at her now she's a gawky adult that's basically the gist of it yeah she's all right isn't it i don't want to read too much in i I, that is an opening credits that was thrown together you know the filming of that took 20 minutes (laughs) the editing Mm -hmm. took a bit longer (laughs) you know but it's not it's it's a it's a very simple basic thing and that's okay. I think I think that's fine. I, I I don't read that much into it. I, I I don't know how important it is. You know, if there was just a still card that said Miranda for a second and a half, and then in we go. Does it really matter? No, not necessarily. But I think I think this speaks to the time. I, I think in the seventies, you have a thirty forty second long yeah, no, intro no. with the actors' names and everything. You can't do that in two thousand nine. People are going to turn off. They just they yeah. they're, they're going straight on to the next thing. Grab them quickly. Get them in. And then you credits is just there just to say hello, really. Okay, so the opening scene, we are in the shop. There's almost a scene setting here where we have Stevie is the serious one, Miranda is the silly one. And that's that's kind of what this scene is establishing. So here is where I've made notes about only really privileged people can be this frivolous. Okay. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I don't want to come over all Jarvis Cocker, but <laughs> she'll never understand how it feels to live her life, etc., etc. <laughs> Yeah, but the, I think I, I actually think that the setting, the set, is, is kind of perfect for the character because it does, it does spell out this frivolous life. It's a joke shop. It's full of nothing useful. It's just all complete tat, all disposable stuff, and that's kind of her life, isn't it? It's just all disposable tat. Yeah, it's a joke. It's a, a life's a joke. <laughs> that's the metaphor they are not particularly straining for here. Uh, okay, so she lives an easy life. She doesn't have to worry about money. So straight away, that's kind of one of our major concerns that most people could identify with is gone. Yeah. 
and we've we talked about this before that w- the sitcoms used to be working class, right? That's how mm. it was on the bus as Steptoe and Son, right? It's yeah. working people in their lives, and that has become less and less so as we've gone along into the nineties and two thousands, particularly. Do you think there's a parallel here with? The, the creators and, and the actors in the, you know, we hear a lot now that it's very difficult to get into acting from a working class background because you need to have mm. some financial backing. Yes. I'm thinking about writers. I'm thinking about, was it was a Johnny Spate who was a carpenter and he sort of just gave someone a script and got his way in that way. <laughs> that was John Sullivan. Uh, John Sullivan. Yes. Yeah. Sorry. Yes. But Johnny Spate wasn't a bloody Viscount's son, was he? Yeah, you know, there were well, all, all those old Johnny boys. Johnny Spate were was John life. Sullivan's inspiration because he heard that this working yeah. class guy was writing for the BBC. So all those old working class writers that found their way in, and you know, I'm conscious as I'm saying this that they were all blokes. So that is something that's changed. But yeah, I mean, Miranda is not of that ilk, is she? Well, like I say, I mean, like we're saying, Miranda built this career over throughout the late '90s, early 2000s of you know going to Edinburgh, doing a sketch comedy, blah blah blah. Yeah, you can't do that if you're working 40 hours a week uh, in a shop, no. right? You can't do it. You just haven't got the time, you haven't got the resources, you haven't got the creative energy, you haven't got the money to go to Edinburgh. Yeah. It was a bit different in the 90s. It was affordable. Nobody goes to Edinburgh anymore. It's ridiculous. Yeah. That's <laughs> just my own personal uh, mm-hmm. gripe there. Um, I, I have no problem with people kind of using the privilege they had to gain, use, use it. If you got it, it'd be, it's more wasteful to not use it, right? But my point is... If you're the BBC and look and looking at what audience is this going to attract, you've got to take a wider view of that. Not even because oh we're we're with the BBC and we want to serve all masters, but because well we need to make sure we've got an audience for this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can't make a posh sitcom because no one's going to watch it. Oh, mind you, to the man to the man of Born. Born. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> But I think that's aspirational. I think you watch To the Man of Born, you're not really supposed to like those people. They're like, you know, they're the toffs. Whereas when it's a bit closer in class, then that's where you can get a little bit resentful. But I, I think it's just that, that that demographic has expanded so much in the last 30 years. That that demographic yeah. that I'm in, that kind of working class background, but went to university and kind of came out and goes, well, I'm supposed yeah. to be doing... I'm supposed to be doing things I love, not things for the money. And, like, what, and what might go into a daft shop and buy a bag of penis, penis pasta for a, for a birthday yeah. present. I, I, I get what you're saying. That perhaps does represent a change in uh, society, yes. But yeah, we, we do have uh, an interesting dynamic here between Miranda and Stevie. Mm-hmm. I feel like this, well, I know, in terms of the original radio show, the, the character of Stevie was is a, originally envis- envisioned as the opposite of Miranda, the officious... Um, yeah. serious, I'm working hard vibe. And we do kind of get that in the earlier episodes. Yeah. And then they just become mates, don't they? They just become... She just becomes her sidekick. Yeah, that's the right word. That's the right word. Now, I've been doing an excellent expenditure chart. Oh, yeah, that is yeah. good. Yeah. Uh, Talk me through it. Really? No! <laughs> we also get the first appearance of the Heather Small thing. What have you done today to yeah. make me feel proud? Which I remember being very funny when I first saw it. What about the seventh time? Kind of sick of it by the end. <laughs> it does start to wear, doesn't it? <laughs> like, without jumping ahead too far here, that is a theme. There's some very funny jokes in here, but by the time I'd watched three series and two specials, I was really sick of those jokes. That's a good example because I think, yeah, throwing up Heather Small and go, what have you done today to make me feel proud? Funny, yeah, joke. 
if in the next episode she throws up a different mm. pop star and sings a different mm. lyric which was relevant to whatever they're talking about run the same joke but make it different and make it interesting rather than just doing the same I thing remember the recently we talked about the fast show didn't we I can't remember which which episode it was but we yeah. talked about the fast show how yes it's the same punchline over and over again but it's a different build up it's a different setup and you're kind of waiting for the punchline but the getting there is the fun yeah. I don't think Miranda does that I think it's just the same joke over and over again. And, you know, what I call repetitive. Yes, I agree. Yes, mm. yes. Let's talk about Sarah Hadland uh, briefly. Yeah, I, I can tell you where I recognised her from. Oh, yeah? She was uh, in Mitchell and Webb's sketch show, wasn't she? She was one of mm-hmm. their sort of sidekicks. Uh, yeah, she she was at that time knocking about in this comedy world. Um, mm. So perhaps not that surprising that she dropped on a a kind of a major role eventually. Uh, she actually started out in musical theatre when she was young. She kind of that was her that okay. was her early point, and and then sort of transitioned into more acting, but voice work, and still does a lot of voice work today. That seems to be kind of her bread and butter. And and this uh, this began as a radio show, so that kind of adds up, right? Yeah. But yeah, around that time, yeah, Peep Show. She's in an episode of Peep Show. Mm-hmm. She's in an episode of Green Wing. It's quite a lot of Green Wing connections oh, right, in this okay. world as well. Saxondale. She's an episode of that. Uh, the mm. IT crowd, she, she's um, okay. quite a notable one uh, guest in that. All just like one episode here and there. Uh, and yeah, and then she was in the Mitchell and Webb sketch show, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. around the same time as this. She The one regular thing I found her in was a show called Moving Wallpaper. I don't know if you remember that. Oh, gosh, that uh, that, that name rings a bell. Is that a sketch show? No, it was a, it was a sitcom-y kind of thing, but it was supposed to be behind the scenes of a soap opera. Oh, I do remember it. It was like a, a, there were two shows where you actually yeah. saw the show and then the background. Did you, did you, I don't think I ever watched that, but I remember it because it was quite an innovative idea. Yeah, that was the one thing I found that she had sort of a regular role in before Miranda. And nothing obvious since either, like in terms of a regular job. Still just knocking around working and a uh, lot of voice work. I do like Stevie. I like the character. As you say, I think she kind of degenerates. <laughs> she uh, she evolves as, as time passes to be just an, uh, a sort of a minor Miranda. But I, I like this idea of a foil of her being, as you said, the opposite of Miranda. I think if the one thing the show needs later on, and it's as it goes on, is more conflict. Yeah. A bit of pushback mm. on Miranda, because then Miranda can push back. And it, it, that's that creates drama, it creates comedy situations. I think it starts to lose that as it goes along. There's another thing that happens in this scene, which is, is a recurring motif, which is that they'll engage a customer. They'll get a customer involved in their discussion or argument or whatever it is mm. they're up to. And uh, like later on, Dominic Coleman, he's yeah. a sort of recurring uh, guest star who, who he becomes that customer yeah that's a kind of a weird thing i want to talk about that <laughs> yeah it's very odd <laughs> earlier on it just it's just whoever happens to be in the shop i i've got to tell you as a man who's worked in shops for a long time that bothers me it's not just not good service <laughs> is it it's not good customer service she's very rude to people she's very she's rude very to people. rude to people it reminded yeah. me there's a couple of times actually where the setup here where you've got a shop and another the restaurant next door it, it reminds me of black books quite a lot <laughs> Where yes, I don't know what yeah. Bernard Black's situation is, but he obviously doesn't need the revenue from that bookshop, does he? <laughs> so <laughs> so it, it kind of reminded me of that a little bit. Before we go on, though, actually, in this scene, that shop and the stairs and everything, mm. does it look familiar? Uh, it, it does, but I, you're going to have to tell me why. It is recycled set from another show. It is the kitchen set from Absolutely Fabulous. Yes! 
Okay, yes, I can see. I can see them with stumbling the stairs down at the back stairs. going up the top there. Yeah. Yes, it yeah. is, and oh, it really is exactly the same set that they just reused. Uh, I only, I didn't spot that myself, but it was, it was noted on one of the extras because Miranda Hart was quite excited about it, obviously because you know, uh-huh. absolutely fabulous. It was something she was brought sure. up on, you know, her yeah. comedy heroes. So next up, Penny arrives. Penny is Miranda's mum. Listen, listen, Tilly, outside promotion. Her mother gloating. You fake job, big success. So I think you dropped some verbs on the way in. <laughs> verbs. Uh, on the way in, she's just got her. I said you'd got her to pretend you're the your father and me wish you were. Which, which I think, I think is quite clever wordplay actually, and that's something that isn't repeated. Like you know, she has her such fun catchphrase and the what I call repetitive catchphrase that that one. Mm. But but that that little affectation of no verbs then the verbs, I, I quite enjoyed that and. That's that was that felt like a one-off. It was just a one-off, and they don't get a lot of wordplay in that sense. That although we do, we'll talk about this in a second with the character of Tilly as a kind of wordplay character. Mm-hmm. But yeah, let's talk about the mother, eh? Yeah, what a horrendous person. <laughs> yeah, well, we all know is a well-known fact that everyone's problems stem directly from their mother. Yeah, uh, so this is really. Um, there's really something everyone can relate to. I think uh, you know. This I have to say, divides. if I was Miranda Hart's mother. I would not have enjoyed watching this show. <laughs> well, it's funny you should say that. One of the extras, one of the DVD extras, is an interview with her mother. Oh yeah, and asks her that, and and she and she, you know, she's obviously very proud of her daughter and everything. But she does say, yeah, people expect me to be like this character, and I'm not. <laughs> but I think Miranda Hart herself also suffered from the same thing. You know, people expected her to be like Miranda. And she's not, mm. you know, obviously it is an exaggerated version of her persona, but it's not really what she is. Yeah. And <laughs> particularly she noted that people expect her to be nice <laughs> and charming. And she, she can't be bothered with that. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's good. <laughs> but yeah, so uh, the, the, the relationship between Miranda and her mother is probably the most important one in the show, uh, ultimately. Mm. And uh, spoiler alert, at the end, kind of the, the, the final blossoming of Miranda is standing up to her mother and saying, look, yeah. you're not in charge of me, I'm doing my own thing. That is yeah. literally, and it's not subtle, they pretty much spell it out. Yeah. That is what gives her the release to be able to go and kind of live her own life. Yeah, It feels a bit harsh at the end, because by the time we got to that point, Patricia Hodge, uh, as the mother character, has become a bit more kind of daffy and likable and silly, mm. rather than this overbearing, what I call, Phyllis Lumsden. What about the actress? Patricia Hodge is... Well, she's sitcom royalty, isn't she? Well, Patricia Hodge, yeah, as opposed to her, the character she's playing here, was 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 much more of that kind of nineteen fifties aspiring middle class. She was a grammar school girl and trained as a teacher, you know, which was which was the height of ambition for mm. um, working class kids back then. Uh, she did train as a teacher, but then ended up going to Lambda when she was twenty two, and so got into musical theatre particularly. And we see a little bit of that in the character when she starts dancing and singing. <laughs> it's always a little bit more refined than uh, Miranda can do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's actually got multiple Olivier Award nominations. Won one okay. of them. You know, she's like she's pretty legit as these go. Her TV breakthrough was Rumpole of the Bailey. Okay, that's kind of what she was known for. That was in the late seventies, but ran a long time. Sitcom then. First thing I could find was the other half. The other half. Yes. Uh, yeah, so she was a regular in that, or at least a semi-regular. That was written by Dick Clement and Neil Lafrenet. Mm-hmm. The year after that, 1980, or the same time, she was a lead in Holding the Forts. 
Yes, which we've seen. Which we've we? talked about. Marks and Grand wrote that. We talked about that in our New Statesman episode. Her husband was Peter Davidson, and he, he was the house husband. Imagine mm. such a thing. She had and a She job. went out to work, like just like as if she was a man. <laughs> and the only other regular sitcom thing I found on her CV was Legacy of Reginald Perrin. Oh, okay. That's before the Martin Clunes remake. Yeah, yeah. It was a, it was a direct continuation of the Leonard Roster one, but Leonard Roster was dead. It's like the character the idea is that Reginald Perrin has died and in his will he's stipulated certain things. Uh, and that hence from hence hilarity ensues and there's kind of it's not very good but patricia hodge was the lawyer in that so she was in every episode but she was the one dealing with the family and all the these actors who we already knew she was like the new person in in the show yeah patricia hodge you know i have to to make her a dame any any minute now surely (laughs) that kind of uh eligibility she's getting to an age where she can be a dame definitely the biggest name in this show in terms of the cast i'd say she's the she's the only name Apart from Miranda, perhaps, yeah. who who you know had any cachet before this wouldn't have been made. I, perhaps that's a little unfair to Sally Phillips. In fact, well, let's talk about Sally Phillips now because yeah. back to our scene, we've had uh, Penny come in, uh, warning that Tilly's about to arrive and she's got this new job. And sure enough, Tilly does arrive, and immediately we are greeted with Tilly's, shall we say, um, idiosyncratic speech patterns, <laughs> which I find quite yes. infuriating. So she comes in and she says, "Congratulations, Queen Kong." <laughs> <laughs> It sounds spectacular. Yes, yes, it's fabby fun. And what a surprise, Flabbergaster Moo Moo. First of all, Miranda's nickname from school was Queen Kong, which, again, sort of funny, but really unkind. <laughs> and, uh, the way that she speaks, the way that the character speaks, is meant to be irritating, right? Mm-hmm. And it is. Now, as the series progresses, it gets worse and worse and worse. And it's like compound interest on how annoying it is. It's getting more annoying because I'm sick of it. And you're laying it on even thicker. Pack it in. <laughs> I, I quite like it. I, but I like Tilly as a character, but it's a character that needs to drop in and drop out. One scene, yeah, but they use two, more, three they use episodes, a lot more later on. Series, she does become much more of a character later on, and I'm not quite sure it's strong enough to hold that up to the point where they have to kind of change the character again. She is supposed to be in the same way that Stevie is. She is an opposite to Miranda. She's everything that mm. Miranda should be, and to have that as an antagonist is great. Mm. Every social event my mother takes me to, she's there proving that I'm not right. Uh, yeah. that's what and there's that be. kind of there's that kind of you know there's the sort of dreadful air kiss that they have and and there's this kind of hostility between them where they're so friendly they're overbearingly friendly to each other but they they appear to really hate each mm. other but that disappears that 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 disappears later they're friend, they become friends and that yeah, yeah and i think that's i i think that's wrong yeah i think that's not a good yeah. idea i i think that is a symptom of someone enjoying working with a friend and wanting to put them in their show more mm. <laughs> and, and i understand that but it's not necessarily the best thing i will say show. this though as annoying as the character is i think sally phillips's performance is brilliant she yeah. she she does a terrific job well, look sally phillips is pretty terrific in everything she, but she's been around for years, right? She's and she's part of the Oxford set, right? She's yeah, and she and she did go to boarding school, so it's kind of like it fits with this character. She she's she's obviously drawing from experience in the same way that Miranda is. So great casting in that sense. Uh, went up to Oxford, joined the Oxford Review, met Leon Herring and all that. Went did all the mm. Edinburgh stuff with all them and kind of came up through that crowd. 
that means she's in with the Ianucci set. So she's in yes. I'm Alan Partridge, a really memorable role in I'm Alan yeah, Partridge. Brilliant. That. Yep. Uh, famously, she's in Cows, the Eddie Izzard failed pilot. Is she? <laughs> Is she? <laughs> she's one of the cows. Uh, no, she's not one of the cows. She's the she's the human love interest who okay is kind of in the world of cows hippies which was a short-lived thing with simon mm-hmm. Pegg. Uh, that's that it's kind of this world again so actually sally phillips is sitcom royalty <laughs> oh definitely yeah yeah i mean there's so many she's in so many sitcoms as a guest and things that i didn't i stopped writing notes about them there's too many uh-huh. i was just trying to get the highlights but smack the pony was probably the breakthrough in terms of like oh yeah these guys are there we mm-hmm. know we know who these people are more recent things, I noticed. She was in one series of Trollied, which is that Sky show uh-huh. that we keep mentioning, and but no one's ever seen I've it. I've still never seen it, man. <laughs> no one has. Uh, but there's lots of people in it. And she is, of course, because of that Ianucci connection, I guess. She was in a, she's been a, a regular, well, kind of once a series guest on in Veep. In Veep, that very memorable role. She plays the Finnish, former Finnish Prime Minister, I think. She steals the scene in everything, every scene she's in, which, you know, when you're with Julie Louise Dreyfus, that's, that's quite something. Yeah. Yeah, it feels like this character is too small for her because you think if you've got Sally Phillips, you're going to be a regular every, every episode, every episode, which she does kind of become. But yes. I think from a character point of view, it would benefit from being in less. We would see less of her. And she should be an antagonist. She should be a, a thorn in the side. All right. So in the scene, then, we get a who's on first base type joke. Which, yeah, a bit more wordplay, actually. Yeah, this is very wordplay heavy, this one. That, that's, that went on too long. <laughs> I, I didn't like that very much. Um, and then what we've got here is Miranda pretending that she works in television. And this is a real theme of the show, where Miranda will tell a lie and then end up in a situation because she holds on to the rising balloon and will not let go and say, oh, no, that was just a lie. Like, mm. and, and so we end up in these extreme situations. There's another episode. I think it's the following episode, actually, where she just goes to stay in a hotel to get away from her tough life of doing nothing. <laughs> and she ends up accidentally, she ends up pretending to be someone else because she's after a free meal. And she ends up accidentally delivering a presentation or, or something. I can't remember. But th- there, are, there are at least 20 occasions on which she could have just said, actually, I'm not that person. <laughs> and I understand that's not how comedy works. I get it. But um, that is a real theme of the show where she ends up in a situation because she's just done, she's told a little lie and then got, got trapped in it. Yeah, I know what you mean. I think this is also the symptom of it's starting to get repetitive after 20 episodes. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. But yeah, Miranda trades on the comedy of social awkwardness. Mm-hmm. We we all been there. We've all been in that situation where someone pushes you in front of the queue and you want to say something, but you don't. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Miranda just sort of vocalizes that and then would kind of go about some convoluted way of trying to get ahead of them in the queue or something, you know. Yeah. It, it, it is very relatable, I think, for, for, for everybody. Well, that's all for this week. We've run out of time. Sorry. But next week, we will be continuing along with our very in-depth look at Miranda. Lots more interesting conversations to be had, and we will deal with that tricky third series slump. And there'll even be a discussion of the techniques of clown that are presented in Miranda. In the meantime, do get in touch. We are social media savvy here at the British Sitcom History Podcast. Oh, yes. Go to Instagram or Twitter at BritcomPod to find us. And we're on Facebook. Search for British Sitcom History Podcast. You'll find us there. Lots of people commenting on things. It's interesting conversations. 
We are also on YouTube with video versions of these podcasts as well as other video content. So go and have a look there as well. That's all for now. We will see you next week. Thank you very much for listening and goodbye.